Pastor Paul Scanlon here with us all the way from the UK. Although he spends most of his life literally traveling the world, speaking to tens of thousands of people all throughout the world. He is a living legend in the faith, grew a phenomenal church in the north of England uh, for over 30 years did that and now spends his life investing into other people to help them grow into all that God has got for them. It's his third time preaching this morning. He flew in last night. He's on jet lag after jet lag after jet lag. He's, he, listen church, let's stand to our feet. Let's give some honour words to you to Pastor Paul Scanley. Come on. Thank you. Good morning. Hello, hello. You may be seated. This is my third time in New Zealand in 12 months. I need help. It's like a therapy issue somewhere that I need that's making me get on planes and travel as far as you can go. Where the plane says, this is it. Planes don't go no further than here. It's called New Zealand. Then last night, daylight savings on the night I flew in. Thanks a bunch for that. <laughs> then they give me a microphone. Don't give people that fly in jet laggy daylight savings a microphone the first day they wake up. This is the only church in the world I've ever been to where the drummer has his own apartment. <laughs> now look at that sucker. For crying out loud. I'm telling you straight, you can move that near the water, it's worth a lot of money. Because it's, it's all view, right? It's all glass. Just saying, just a thought. Listen, it's a joy to be with you and with the conference this week. So thank you for your love and your welcome here this morning with you guys I am here with you uh, a short time now, so we're going to move quick. Um, I'm going to mention a few resources. I hate to do this because it's our first date, and my dating behavior is very bad. My mother would be, I taught you better than that, son. Treat them nice, spend money on them, get to know them a little bit. We're going straight to where I sell you things, which is only the third date anyway. I don't hang around me. But because our relationship is long distance and complicated, I have to speed things up when I'm with you. That's my disclaimer for what I'm about to do. But I do want you to look at the resources area before you go. Hannah is with me, and uh, although she works with me, though she lives in Australia, I live in England. Talk about remote working people. But uh, she's here today, and she'll help you beyond what I can tell you. But this green USB, many hours on these USB flash drives, this green one is called Growing Big People. Because I realized um, later than I wish I had that my job as a leader is not to grow the church. My job is to grow people. And they may sound the same thing, but they're not. When I talk to pastors around the world about the church, I'm aware, but they're not, because I didn't used to be, that all their conversation is about one kind of church. I'm talking about people. They're talking about what people do. They're talking about worship. They're talking about small groups, talking about prayer. They're talking about giving, about building programs, about musicians. About That's, that's not the church. That's what people in the church are doing. But it's the people I'm talking about that are doing all that. So I realized that I was busy growing things rather than growing the people that are supposed to grow the things. And if you grow things and forget to grow the people growing the things, that's where most leaders get into huge problems. So growing big people became my commitment 17 years into 32 years pastoring. I had this aha wake-up call to realize, okay, I made a fundamental mistake. So the last 20 years of my pastoring, I focused on growing the people, figuring if I can grow you, then I think everything else we're trying to make happen will happen anyway. Right. 
So growing big people, think about getting that in your world. Some of you will really appreciate that in business. If you are in business, have a team, stop trying to get the people to grow things and forget their people. And invest in the people. No company, no church, no organization can grow any bigger than the people in it. The ceiling on this church is not vision, it's not gift, it's not anointing, it's not money, it's not branding. The ceiling on this church is the caliber of the people in it. Not the leaders, you guys, all of us. It can't get any bigger than you are. And that's what I learned in my church a few years in when I started reaching people that our people couldn't cope with being around. I thought, we have a problem here. Our church is limited by their capacity to receive people different to them. And that's what begins to happen in churches and organizations around the world. This blue one is called Live Full, Die Empty, because I believe that should be the mantra of every church in the world. Because God is not drawn to full things. God is not drawn to full places or full people. God is drawn to emptiness. And if you stop finding empty people, God loses interest in us. God is hovering, as it were, over every empty chair in here. Because someone's supposed to come and sit there, and whoever's supposed to come and sit there, by the way, is people you know. It's not people you don't know. It's just people in your world somewhere, like you were once included to be invited. Now you're sitting in a chair that nobody used to sit where you sit. But now you're here. You didn't get here by mystery. Someone included you. And so live full, die empty. We want today to be filling up for you. But go, leave this place and give away whatever you're learning. Live full, die empty. And finally, personal development. That's a video of my top 10 personal development ideas. I've been committed to growing as a human. I know you are too for many years. And I thought, I've learned a few things. What would, what would my top 10 be? Which is a nightmare, picking top 10 of anything after 40 odd years of growing. But I decided these are my top 10. And the first one of those top 10 is, by the way, so you get a flavor of that material, is if you want to keep growing as a person, you have to let go of being liked. Who tells us that stuff? No one tells us. The reason you're stuck is because you're waiting for someone else whose opinion matters to you more than it should to approve this idea that you have, to validate this shift you're about to make. To not be threatened by the new version of you that you are becoming that may not include them in the same space in your life that they have now. So they're threatened by these ideas you have. So they're never going to say go for it because go for it means you may leave them behind. So you have to let go of your addiction to certain people's validation of you because it's never going to come. No one told me that. And I got stuck waiting for people, leaders, church mafia people. Hello. Controlling people, people that controlled me with relationship, controlled me with finances. When I wanted to take the church to a whole new level, I started getting these letters, these conversations, and I realized if I'm going to take the church forward, I'm going to lose some people, and we did. So you need to know that on a small or large level that you cannot keep developing as a human if you are tethered and anchored by someone's opinion of you. All right, those are the commercials are over. Say many if you're glad the commercials are finished. No, me too. I was sorry to do that to you. It was very rude. I'll behave better next time. I blame it on my jet lag and daylight savings. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to turn to Scripture. I'm going to read to you from Acts 6, 25 to 30. I don't know why I said turn. Nobody turns anymore, do we? Yeah. We tap. <laughs> About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke 
up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The title of this message is called Collateral Grace. It'll come on screen, you can write it down or photograph the screen, but I work very hard on titles, especially when we are talking about something that is perhaps well known to us, like grace is, or faith, or love, or joy, or peace. These are words we trade in a lot in the church, so if we want to keep people interested when we talk about something that we've talked about for decades, I think we have to find a creative way to say it, and I think the good title of a book, or a movie, or a song, or anything in your life will stay in your mind a lot longer than if somebody couldn't be bothered to think of a good way to say it that stays in your mind. So Collateral Grace is going to be my way today to speak to you about an old idea in a new way about grace. Everybody say collateral. collateral. Say it again. Collateral. And again. Collateral. See, that's the most time you've said collateral in years. Which is why I made you say it, because when I think we deal with a word that is not common usage, I think it's good for you to hear yourself saying it, because that's the kind of word collateral is. Not grace, we use that a lot, but collateral, we don't. And collateral's a, a great word, though it's been used for bad things. Collateral normally is used with relation to damage. Collateral damage is what they use to describe what happens in war. When the missile hit people that weren't its target. And so the people, the civilians that are killed when the, when the missile strikes, the people that were in the vicinity of the strike or in the building that the military didn't know were in the building, they're not combatants, they're not military people, but they got hit. They are called collateral damage. And so collateral is normally a prefix to the word damage. So I'm redeeming the word collateral and putting it in front of the word grace to describe to you what I believe is a fundamental part of the nature of grace. It's one thing to know about grace. It's another thing to know about the component parts of grace, its nature. What is it made up of? What is the DNA of grace? And I use this term about this story in Acts because clearly what happened here was what I would call collateral grace. When God struck this jailhouse, if you like, with this earthquake, it didn't just set Paul and Silas free, who were the only two that, if you like, earned it. These are the two that are the believers, the prayers, the Shabbat Abadurs, and they're in jail doing that at midnight, and their backs were open with all the whipping, so it was a huge cost. Talk about sacrifice of praise. Physically, these guys must have been in huge pain, and they were in jail, by the way, for doing the right thing. They were just serving God, finished up in jail, because it can get you in jail, metaphorically and literally in some countries of the world still. So these guys are singing and praying, and all the other prisoners were listening. What else would you do at midnight when people are singing in a place like that? And when this earthquake came, it says that everybody's prison door, not just Paul and Silas's, everybody's prison door opened, and everybody's chains came loose. So this was a collateral miracle. This was aimed at everyone and no one. This was not selective grace. This was not specific grace. This was not forensic grace. This was not targeted grace. Everybody in the vicinity got in on the blessing, in on the miracle. And I want you to understand that grace 
in its nature is collateral in its nature. And I think our church and most churches around the world, I still think, don't understand this about the nature of grace or the nature of love or the nature of kindness or the nature of forgiveness. Because I think what we've done is, is that we, we have made God in our image. I think it's just part of what humans do. So if, if you have your understanding of love based on your life, your journey, and your understanding of love is at all contaminated by bad experiences, or the word love is difficult for you, or happiness is a difficult thing for you, or joy is a difficult thing for you. When you use that word, when you're listening to it and when you are passing it on, what we don't know is it has a certain meaning to you. So when you talk about love, you pass it on according to your image of that, your perception of that. So that's all we can do. But I realized our church had got stuck because we were speaking about grace, but I didn't realize we were speaking about grace not in a collateral way, but in a controlled way. And we didn't understand that grace was not for the church, and grace was not for the good people, and grace was not for the believers and the Pentecostals and the Charismatics uh, and the Christians, that grace was for everybody. You do know, don't you, that the cross of Jesus Christ was not for the church. It was for the world, but we've made it as if it's ours. And we kind of almost become you know, the controllers of who gets to benefit from the cross because we think it's ours and we forget. And yes, we celebrate the cross. I understand that. But I think we forget in all of our celebration of the cross and language about the cross and singing about the cross, um, we think the cross was for us. The cross was for the world. And love, the love of God, therefore, poured out at the cross. The love of God is not for the church. But what we've done with love, because we don't understand its nature, no more than we do grace's nature, is we've turned love into a gift. And love is not a gift. Love is a baton. Love is designed to be passed on like a baton. A baton, as the Americans say. In a relay race. Because love goes off if you keep it. And grace goes off if you keep it. And joy and peace and forgiveness goes off if you keep it. But we have made grace and love and so on. We've made it belong to us. So, so we keep it in our cell. So it's come to free us. It's come to bless us. And what's happening here is God is demonstrating that he is reckless and he is careless and he is nonspecific. He is collateral in his nature. That when Jesus fed the 5,000, he didn't say, okay, so how many of you really appreciate my ministry first? before I start dishing this bread out. He didn't send the disciples amongst the crowd to find out who's on the mailing list before he starts to bless them all. The Bible says the rain falls on the good and on the bad, and grace is like rain. Grace is not careful. Grace is collateral, like the rain is collateral. And the metaphors the Bible uses about the church and about the kingdom of God, it being like a net that trawls through the ocean. Nets are collateral fishing. Nets are not like rods. Nets just scoop everybody up. And that's what Jesus did. He scooped everybody up. He fed everyone. He healed everyone. He preached to everyone. He invested in everyone, knowing that they'd shout crucify him at the end. 
And one of the reasons that we warehouse and we stockpile and we control and we franchise love and grace is because we don't like to risk giving it away to people that don't appreciate it. And grace is not like that. God, when God is gracious to us, when God is loving to humanity, he's not, well, I won't go back to their house again because they were so rude to me. They didn't reciprocate because grace does not require reciprocation. It's nice if it gets that, even in a thank you, as the ten lepers prove. Even a thank you is better than nothing, but Jesus still healed all of them, knowing nine of them would not say thank you. That is the nature of grace and the nature of love. And I think we've forgotten it because God's interested in everyone's chains, not just your chains. In fact, in fact, the most progressive churches in the world understand that, that their chains are your chains. That it's not enough that you are in here and saved and free and happier and, than you've ever been. And now all you're doing is getting fat and spiritually obese on more love today than you had all week. You know, some of you are overloved. That's your problem. Not underloved, you're overloved. And you are obese and have clogged arteries because you love too much. You know, some, you don't need 20 texts this week telling you how loved you are. You need a couple. The other 18, someone else who's never been told that needs them. And these people are in your world. It's the guy at the gas station when you go and fill up with petrol who hates his life, hates his job. And you can tell by the whole demeanor that he feels stuck in life, like some of you used to feel stuck. Um, the last thing that guy needs is an invite to church. So don't think I'm talking about that. What he needs is to be noticed, to be appreciated, to have something nice said to him. The single parent mom that lives near where you live, that's really struggling, going through a tough time, um, collateral grace sees her and, and is kind to her. Not with an agenda of inviting her to something. That's what we struggle with in the church. We've made it all about an agenda. And grace doesn't have an agenda of you responding or the grace dries up. It's collateral in nature. I want you to go from this building today and stop being careful about your grace. Just splash it everywhere. Just don't look for a divine appointment. Don't look for someone that you think needs it. Don't look for someone that you think would appreciate it. Just go and stop being careful. Be reckless and be careless with your love, with your grace this week. You'll be amazed what a better week you will have. They will also have a better week, but they may not tell you. So don't wait for a thank you. Just keep going. Just keep throwing the seed out. Just keep sending out the rain. Just keep spreading the love. Collateral grace. Grace is collateral in nature. Years ago when our church got stuck not knowing this, because our church was white middle class, and that is not true of our city. So when, when any church has a congregation that is not typical of its community, what it tells you is that church is safe. It means really we're reaching people like us because we feel safe with people like us. And I understand that. That's not a problem unless it becomes a problem. When it becomes cliquish and inward looking and exclusive, and if you're not one of us, you kind of get the feel of looks could kill, you'd never come back, then it's gone wrong. And our church was like that. And even though we prayed and we sang and we preached about reaching the world, we really weren't. We were reaching the world of people like us. In other words, we had, become, we had become a private grace club. 
Grace was in our part of the cell, our part of the prison, our part of the city. We had the grace. The grace was all locked up and been warehoused and siloed inside our church experience. And while we were all stockpiling the grace, we sang about other people that needed it. And so I realized we had a massive problem and I couldn't describe it to the church, but, but I realized if you took a photograph of our congregation, went into our city, Bradford, north of England, like Leeds, Manchester, part of the UK, and said to people in our town, hey, a stranger walking by, here's a photograph of a church in this country. Where do you think that congregation are? They would never ever have said our city because it was far too white was the picture. They'd have said stockbroker belt perhaps of London. And the problem was that the church was in the city, but the city was not in the church, except in a virtual reality outreach language. You all know, don't you, that what happens in this service today isn't real. This is a flight simulator. We're not going anywhere. So whatever happens in this room, there's no danger of a hijack or a plane crash or turbulence making you throw up or something happening that thinks, I won't use that airline again. We're just, because we're in the flight simulator here. And for years, what we did in our church, we had a perfect takeoff, cruise, landing every Sunday, but we thought we'd touch the world because we sang about it and we preached about it. So when I started bussing in people from the worst council estates in our city, which are ranked amongst some of the worst in our country, all hell broke loose when I started bussing in scoundrels, criminals, drug dealers, homosexuals, black people, um, homeless, smelly people. When I started bringing in, and I was bussing in 500 a week, and all hell broke loose amongst the white middle-class people who clearly didn't mind singing about doing that and would have been happier if I'd have kept that away from them and said, we're going to reach these people where they live on Wednesday nights. Then those that want to involve, like these lovely people going to India, can sort of volunteer and go. I think that would have felt safer. But I brought them in as the cats amongst the pigeons. And all hell broke loose. And I began to realize when all hell broke loose, we, whatever we had before these people came in, whatever we had was not real. And these people that were the biggest prophesiers, the biggest Shabbat Abadurs, um, you know, the people that glowed in the dark with the anointing was on them. The people, the people for whom angels river danced on their duvet three times a week. These spiritual giant people were the worst. They freaked out, sent me letters, left the church, started to control things. And I thought, I, I, think, I think we think grace is ours. I think we think we get to say who gets it, who doesn't. And there's no, there's no danger at all in singing about grace and love and peace and reaching the world from the safety of our armchairs here. But until you get off the cheap seats and get into the arena and start shedding blood and get some skin in the game, which is what our church began to do in the late 90s, and all hell broke loose. So this reminds me, in the late 90s, this came home to me so clearly in multiple ways, one of which was one night we were having a party at our house. We live in an old 17th century farmhouse, and uh, it's dark country lanes to get to us, and it was winter, so it was dark, and the lanes were dimly lit, and I had a guy that was parking cars just down the road from us on some waste ground, because our drive is limited in parking. There's about 100 or so people coming 
to the party. So this guy from our church called Robbie was down there with one of these traffic ones that light up in the dark, waving people in that were coming up the lane into the car park. And when he came back in after everybody was in, I said to him, Robbie, how did it go? Was everything okay? Did we get everybody parked? He said, it was fine, except one lady. I said, what was the problem? He said, I waved it in by mistake. <laughs> she wasn't coming to the party. But he said, because I was on the lane and that narrow road just goes to the village and that many people would never come at the village all at once, dark at night. So he just assumed everybody coming at that time of night um, were coming to the party. So he just waved her in and he waved her in and she was so freaked out. I had this big coat and one of these Russian fur hats that come down over your ears. And it must look terrifying. And waved her in, and, and as she pulled in off the road, she put a window down, she said, what's happened? Is there something happening? Am I in trouble? Is there a problem? And she, he, he could see that she was panicking, and she wasn't coming to the party. So he said, I'm so sorry to wave you in. So many people coming tonight are coming to a party we're having up at the farmhouse there. I just assumed that you were one of them, and I waved you in by mistake. I'm sorry. I'll help get you out of here and reverse you out. She said, well, let me just say, I have never, ever been invited to a party in my life. She said to this, and she was bantering, and he was teasing her, and uh, what kind of parties, and she was asking about the party, and who are these people, and so we chatted with her, then she drove off. When he told me that story, it struck in my mind as a metaphor, as a parable, as a picture of how stuck and how blind-spotted our church was compared to God, because, because what our church were doing is we were only waving in people whose number plates were on the list, if you like. I could have said to Robbie, here's a list of number plates so you'll know who to wave in. I could have given him a list. I said, just shine your torch uh, and, and see if it's on the list. I could have given him some way to have not made that mistake. But I didn't. So, so Robbie just assumed everybody's coming to the party, which is exactly what God does. Well, God looks at humanity. He, he assumes everybody is coming to the party. When the church looks at the world... We assume that those that who God gives us a divine appointment for, those who are ready, and we decide what ready looks like. So we look for people that we think are ready. And by the way, while you are putting all your eggs in the basket of those who seem ready, the people who are really ready around here, and they're not even in your peripheral vision. You're ignoring them, praying for this person who's promised they'll come for the last three years but never has. So... God doesn't do that. So when he told me that he just assumed she was coming, I felt God said to me, and I want you to build a church where you assume everybody, everybody yeah. wants to come to the party. Yeah. They're, just, they're not coming to the party because, as that lady said, she didn't know about it. She's never been included. But if you will build a church that's, that has a love that is all-inclusive, not in theology, because that was the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter loved everybody in his preaching and theology, spent three years 24-7 with Jesus, but all that time he hated Gentiles. Go figure. So I don't think just because you are in a good church or you're spirit-filled and you're a shabba-dabba-doer, <laughs> I am too, but I think we exaggerate the whole point of that. That's why I keep teasing you about it. I think... I think because we're in a good church, we can think we're immune from some of that stuff. But Peter was 24-7 with Jesus, and he didn't see it. 
Long after Jesus has gone, long after the day of Pentecost when the spirits come, he's still struggling. So God's still dealing with Peter at the home of Cornelius because Peter still doesn't get that this gospel is not for Jews, that this grace is not exclusive, that this grace is for everyone. And the thing is, the thing is if we don't understand that, what we start doing is we're becoming the grace cops and we're becoming the who gets in, invited and who doesn't. And so I said, let's just stop it. Let's just throw open our church to this city and let's, whosoever will may come, you know that whosoever may come stuff? I know it's good preaching until whosoever does come. You know, come, come as you are, that's trendy branding now. Many churches are using that their branding. It's on their websites, sometimes on their buildings, sometimes in their foyer. Come as you are. What we really mean is come as we are. Because God help you if you walk in here today and you are not an easy fit with who we are. If you come in and you're not our type. If you come in, you know, in our church back then when people came in, you know, with shaved heads or mohawk haircuts, tattoos, body piercings, um, looking goffy or chains everywhere. Um, I mean, now we put those people on stage. That's how much times have changed. Now that's trendy. But back then you were the devil incarnate if you came looking, looking non-white middle class kind of thing. So, so what I mean by we think who's ready is very subjective. If, if, if we'd have known some of you some years ago when you came to Christ, a lot of us would have said about you, you were the last person I thought would be ready. When I got saved at school at 15, I was the last of the last you would think were ready. But someone flung some grace in my direction. And I was surprised, and still am to this day, why I found grace interesting. Why I found grace attractive. And I want you to go out this week and just get out of control. Some of you are way too intense with your Christianity. Some of you are way too picky with who gets the best of you. I want you to go out this week and just, just don't be careful. I want you to go and think this morning, tomorrow, I'm going to go out, I'm going to be reckless. I'm going to notice people. I'm going to be kind to people because grace is just kindness. It's inclusion. It's saying, I love your shoes. Where do you get them from? To someone who's never had a compliment in years, but you don't know that. It's a hand on someone's shoulder as you say goodbye, as you say good job, who have never been told that in a long time. This is why research is showing now all across the world that depression, depression, which is an all-time high in the Western world, is much less of a chemical issue and much more of a human disconnection issue. The people are dying of loneliness. And depression leads to suicide and all kinds of choices people make. And so for you to this week go and be someone's answer to loneliness. For you to go this week and be kind to someone. And just be kind with no promise of thank you or no promise of reciprocation. That's what grace is. Grace is just flinging itself everywhere like the seed that went in all these different soils in the parable of the sower. God even puts seed in stony ground. And it's not a parable about how careless God is with seed. It's a parable about how generous God is and how he gives every kind of soil a chance. But some of you are looking for, some of you are looking for the responsive soil. Well, you weren't. You weren't responsive. 
When someone gave you a chance, when someone included you, when someone loved you, they keep coming back, giving you another chance, another chance. They weren't put off by how aggressive and how resistant you were. Someone kept throwing seed in your direction. So go out this week. I pray for an outbreak, an epidemic of collateral grace so that everybody gets a door opened. Everybody gets a chain coming off. Everybody gets a chance at a new beginning. Through your carelessness, through your being chilled and relaxed and just being kind. I was saying in the last service, I'll finish. Um, I was in a corporate event in America recently speaking, and a CEO of a company said to me, I think we have a loyalty problem among some of the key teams, some of the key staff. He said, uh, tell me, he said, how do you build loyalty in a team? You've been building teams, which I have all my life, been on teams all my life. How do you build loyalty in your team? That is pen poised for a very corporate answer. And I said, you build loyalty in a team by asking someone, how's your mom? End of. Because when people know that you see them, when people know that they matter, that's where loyalty comes from. You are loyal where you feel loved. You are loyal where you feel served. You're loyal where you feel appreciated. You're loyal where you feel listened to. You're loyal where you feel there's affection and interest in your life rather than you're a thing or a commodity or a producer of something or just someone on the database. That's why I teach servant leadership around the world because we are sick and tired as, as, as a globe. We are sick and tired of, of people being put into leadership who were not servants in the first place. Because you can, you can bolt leadership on to servanthood. But you can't bolt servanthood on to leadership later if they weren't servants in the first place. And all around the world, we're putting the wrong people in charge and times are changing and the emerging generation are going to help us to change it. Because you millennials and teens in here, you are sick and tired of a world run by people who are not service and people first oriented. It's a good thing for our world. It's a revolution and I'm glad to be part of it. Wonderful. All right. Listen, I want you to look at the screen now. Somebody's going to come on screen. This is going to be really cool. I want you to get your phones out, all of you, and photograph the screen for me. This is my gift to you before I leave you here. Photograph the screen. This is an amazing bit of technology. Photograph the screen. I want you to capture that. Go to paulscanlon.com slash elin because this is something I've set up online just for this church today. As my thank you to you, this is a free gift. I want to add value to you today beyond what I've got time to do here. You're going to get the speaking notes from today way beyond what I've got time to talk about here. You're going to get the speaking notes free. Then you're going to get free video audio downloads on this link that you'll find here as my thank you to you guys here particularly this is just for the church here today this will stop after this service I've offered it all morning this is just for you guys so photograph the screen follow the link and that's my thank you to you guys for being such awesome beautiful Kiwi New Zealand uh, daylight saving we should all still be in bed people all right father thank you for these beautiful people this great church all of you have come here from different stuff in your life, different challenges, different issues. I just thank you, Lord, for your collateral grace that found us, that splashed in our direction. And I pray as we leave this place today that we will stop being so particular, exclusive, 
with our carrying, our stewarding of this amazing thing called grace. I pray this week as we leave this room, we will stop being so careful, stop being so intense, and just relax into the rhythm of this beautiful grace that you have for the planet. I pray this week as we even leave this building before we even get home, there's someone we lock eyes with, someone that we are kind to, someone that we just splash grace to. I pray grace truly becomes collateral in and through our lives to a whole new level in the last quarter of this year. In Jesus' beautiful collateral grace name, I ask you this. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening today. Go strong, everybody. I'll see you in the week. Thank you.